0: from the Gospel of Luke. This will be chapter 15, verses 1 through 2, and then jumping ahead to verses 11 through 32. So Luke chapter 15, beginning at verse 1, and I'll ask you to rise for the reading of God's Word. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Verse 11. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, You are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, thank you for your word to us this morning. God, I pray that you would speak to us through this parable, that you would reveal things about ourselves that we may not even be aware. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. So, quick audience survey out there. Who here is uh, an eldest child? Oldest child? Yeah. All right. Me too. My wife, too, so you need to pray for our daughter. She is the firstborn among two firstborn parents, so I th- think it's safe to say she may get her lunch money taken from her once or twice at some point. Um, so the firstborn, it's, it's interesting to think about birth order and the different characteristics of these family dynamics, right? The, the firstborn is, is always supposed to be kind of the type A personality, really sort of perfectionistic and, and super driven. This was me. Growing up, for sure. I mean, I w- this is not a joke. It's not an exaggeration. I didn't make this up for the sermon. I would stay in at recess to double-check my math test. Yeah, sad, I know. So that gives you a little bit of an inkling of, of me, who we're talking about here. Um, and I think this is, this is very true for, for older siblings. And maybe you've, you've noticed this to be true about yourself, too. Maybe not. Here's me oldest son, and my brother, the youngest son, youngest biological child in our family. Uh, Who here is a a younger, the youngest in their families? I could have guessed that. You youngest, the youngest ones, you guys just, you have it made in the shade. You do, you do. You get it easy, mom and dad are just at that point like, well, what's the worst that can happen? We'll find out, and you get to kind of do whatever you want. You get special treatment, right? 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 Yeah. My brother and I, we got along pretty well. I think uh, I think it's fair to say I took advantage of him once or twice. We, uh, when I was growing up, we had a, a yard care business in town. So over the summers, he was like, I mean, this was at the time when I was maybe I don't know twelve, like thirteen, fourteen. So he would have been somewhere like I don't know ten or or so. So he didn't understand all of the, the details of how a business worked. I definitely didn't either, but I knew more than him. So I would get my little brother to come out with me as basically free labor. So he would, he would be out there with me all day mowing, and he would do the push mowing, right, because he couldn't do the, do the riding lawnmower. And uh, I was too cheap to pay him, so at the end of the day, I'd buy him a little Debbie, uh, one of these little 25-cent oatmeal cream pies, and he thought that was the coolest thing ever. Till he got older and he discovered that uh, it wasn't, and I'd kind of cheated him out of uh, a bunch of money. But we have this story that Jesus tells, this parable of the prodigal son, and, and I used it as an illustration a number of weeks ago, we're going to do a little bit of a deep dive into it today. And those dynamics, I want you to keep those in mind. The, the older son, who is, who is sort of the, the perfectionist, the rule follower, and then the younger son, who is kind of the black sheep of the family, and, and, and sort of... Uh, maybe the rebel. We could think of him that way. Because that's what we have here, and those dynamics are very much true as Jesus tells this parable. We have the younger son. You know how this story goes. The younger son comes to his father and he asks, Father, give me my share of the inheritance. Now, sometimes we hear things in Scripture and we're like, well, yeah, that was a normal thing back then. It wasn't. It was essentially wishing your father to die, to ask for your inheritance while he was still living. So he asked for this vast sum of money and for some reason, the father actually gives it to him. And so the younger son takes this money, he goes off to a far country. We don't know where. We don't know where this was. All that we know is that he squanders it on wild living is what it says. So he blows it. He blows like a third of his family's inheritance. Tons of money, tons of wealth on wild living, on possibly partying, gambling, you think sort of along those lines. His brother later accuses him of wasting his money with prostitutes. We don't know if this was True or not, but it certainly must have been some sort of terrible, bad behavior. So we had this young son who's kind of the party boy, the party animal, goes off, blows all his money in the far country, and he's sitting there, and he is without anything because he's, he's, he's blown it all. Not a penny to his name. A famine comes into the land, and so what does he do? Well, he goes and he works for a farmer. He works for a pig farmer, and it says that he was so hungry at this point that he wanted to fill his stomach with the food that the pigs were eating, with the pods that the pigs were eating. He wanted to belly up to the slop trough with the pigs and chow down as well. That gives you some idea of the sort of need this younger son was in. And then it says, but then he came to his senses he has this, this, this realization. He, he hits, hits a point where he bottoms out and he remembers something. He remembers his dad. He remembers his father and the farm and his dad's generosity. And he says, you know, my father's servants, even they are doing better than I am. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go back to my dad. I'm going to apologize. And he has this whole kind of apology speech in his brain that he goes over again and again. We can imagine as he's walking back to his his dad's, maybe with his head hung low out of shame. And he's going to ask him, Father, I know I've, I've sinned against you and against heaven, and I no longer am worthy to be called your son, but at least take me back as, as one of your Servants, right? At least maybe I can be a servant. Then I'll get, at least I'll get some food. At least I'll have a place to stay. And yet as he's walking, while he is still a long way off, right, what happens? Well, the father sees him because the dad has been watching out for this wayward son of his. He's been keeping an eye out. And he runs to him. He runs to his son, who has sinned greatly against him. And you'll notice that as the son is apologizing, the apology that he had rehearsed doesn't quite match the apology that he speaks because he's not even able to get out the whole apology since his dad comes to him and he hugs him and he kisses him. He puts a robe over him and a, and a ring on his finger and he says, Kill the fattened calf, for this son of mine who was dead is alive again. He was lost and he is found. This rascal of a son throws a party for him. That would not have been my reaction to a wayward son or a wayward daughter. I think I may have been out on the porch, shotgun in hand, cleaning it, and he shows up, spent hundreds of thousands of dollars of my money and say, get off of my property. I don't know you anymore. We can imagine the dad sitting there like this, at very least calling him to him and making him enumerate his sins to make sure you know what you did wrong, right? He doesn't give him a timeout. He doesn't make him go to his room. What does he do? He showers him with kisses. He gives him mercy And the son knew he deserved nothing but punishment. A fourth century church father says it like this. This is how the father judges and corrects his wayward son. He gives him not beatings, but kisses. He gives him not beatings, but kisses. The power of love overlooked the transgression." We have this this picture of what God in His grace and in His mercy does. And, And in this, we get a glimpse, a glimmer of what the Apostle Paul speaks of in Romans where he says it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance, right? Then there's the older son. Most of the time when we read the story of the prodigal son, we could just stop after the verse that talks about the younger son, when he returns and the father, you know, brings him in and they have a party, the end. That would be a nice little ending to it. But it continues. And this older son, we don't talk about him as much because we think of this as the parable of the prodigal son. So this is, this is all about the prodigal who went off into the far country, right? Well, the older son gets short shrift. So I, I think we need to, to zoom in on him and, and, and think a little bit about what's going on with this older son. So here's his reaction. Once again, he calls the servant over. He's come in from the field and he can hear there's, there's some sort of a party going on, some noise. And the servant comes back and says, Your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has, made him, he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friend. You're busting out the filet mignon for this wayward son of yours. You don't even give me so much as a can of spam. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. He's mad. He's utterly outraged at grace. I'm the one that's been working for it. I'm the one who followed all the rules. I am the good son who did everything right. I obeyed you, I put in the time, I worked hard on the farm. And what do I get in return? My brother doesn't deserve it. I do. In other words, he thinks of himself as being good. Which is even more dangerous than knowing you're bad. We have a a term, a modern day term, For the older son, we might say he's a holy roller. He exemplifies sort of a a holier-than-thou attitude. This is me with my holy roller gang back in the day. I'm sorry, guys, I couldn't resist. I had to just show this picture. I thought it was so good. This was the first church I attended, and I I don't know. I don't know what's going on in the picture exactly other than it looks like a pretty rough and tumble Bible gang or something that's like going to come after you if you don't memorize your verses right. You can see, though, this attitude of the older son who says, I deserve it, you don't, I'm better than those bad people out there. And here's what one author says about that. He says, unless you too can welcome your lost brother, then you are the lost son. See, this isn't just a tale of a prodigal son. It's a tale of two prodigal sons. They're each lost and they're each wayward in their own ways. And unless you too, unless I too can welcome our lost brother, if we can't do that, that means we are The lost son. So we've got the younger son. We've got the older son. We've got the dad. But here's what I really want you to pay attention to, okay? We need to understand context because context is important. What that means is that Jesus is not giving this parable out of the blue, He's not just stepping up and saying, Here's a nice story for you. He's actually telling it in response to what some people are saying. In particular, the tax, excuse me, in particular, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Listen to this. This is Luke 15 1 through 2. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man eats with sinners. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. This man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. Jesus hung out with the bad people and they didn't like that. They didn't like that. Jesus is known for being a friend of sinners, as it says elsewhere in the Gospel. In fact, here's what the Gospel of John says. It says that Jesus had a reputation of being a drunkard and a glutton. Those are the words of Scripture. Now, was Jesus a drunkard? No. Was Jesus a glutton? No. He was perfect. He was sinless. He never did anything wrong his whole life, but he hung out with the people who were. In fact, he hung out with them to such an extent that he became identified with their sin. He doesn't seem too concerned about tarnishing his own reputation. He's more concerned about the souls of the people he's hanging out with. Jesus eats and drinks with sinners. And as I was contemplating that phrase in preparation for today, I was convicted. Because I asked the question well, okay, what am I known for? What kind of person am I as far as who I, I eat and drink with? Am I known for being someone who eats and drinks with, with family? Am I known as someone who eats and drinks with church people? Am I known for someone who eats and drinks with friends, who eats and drinks with good, polite company? Or like Jesus, am I someone who is known for eating and drinking with sinners? You see, there's another character in this story that's absolutely crucial to understanding it, and it's the fattened calf. You see, the fattened calf is brought in and killed and slaughtered in order that the party may commence. The welcome home party can't commence unless there is a sacrifice unless there is a death unless there is the shedding of blood because as the author of hebrews tells us without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sins jesus became that sacrifice and it is not the well the people who are well that need a physician but those who are sick he did not come to heal the righteous but but the unrighteous So what are, we, what are we left with here in this, this parable of the prodigal son or the, the two prodigal sons and the, the merciful father, uh, we might say? The reality is that Jesus descended from his holy perch with the father, to be with sinners, to identify with sinners, to live for sinners and to die for sinners. And if you are not a sinner, someone who does wrong, then you do not qualify for salvation. The truth is that Wherever you find yourself on this spectrum, I don't know where you're at this morning. Maybe you're one who says, man, I really identify with, with a younger son who's lost out in the, the far country and I find myself wandering and away from, from home and, and from my, my father and relapsing into that sin that I swore I'd never commit again and it happened. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's more... The older son that you identify with, struggling, struggling to to recognize that, man, we too, I too am the chief of sinners. I don't know. The only thing I do know is that your gracious Heavenly Father longs to welcome you home. He does. He is always calling. He is always open. He is always welcoming you to be reconciled to himself. Because God loves to throw parties for sinners. (laughs) Here's what one gentleman says. He says, God is eager to throw one party after the next for every bedraggled sheep lost coin, our lost son who shows up on the front porch of God's heart to say, still got room at the table for me. That is the good news today, friends. However far we may wander, however many times we may return to that far country, God always has a place at the table for us. And he beckons us us home. Amen. Hey friends, Pastor Luke here. Thanks so much for tuning in. I trust that you've been blessed by our message from God's word today. Hey, we'd love to connect with you more. If you have comments or questions, you can email me directly at pastorchellog at gmail.com. That's Pastor K-J-O-L-H-A-U-G at gmail.com As we wrap up our time together today, please receive this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Amen.